Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to a podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbst. Welcome to Everybody Episode 752 with the podcast and Sweet America. The Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by Bedford Sportsbook. It is Monday, August 21st, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I cannot believe I'm saying it. It is game week, baby. We got some week zero games to get to later in the week. Saturday, we have college football. Cannot believe we are here. Here's what you need to know about today's show. I'm back from vacation. I got to say this. You guys and girls are clearly ready for football because the numbers last week were through the roof. So thank you for your support. And here's what we're going to do today. It's going to be kind of a combination of stuff that I missed last week while I was gone, while kind of jam-packing in a lot of news and notes from across college football. We'll start the fascinating Michael Orr story. I know you all know the details, the updates. We're going to get into all of that. We will move on. We will talk a little bit of on-the-field college football. thought there were some very interesting developments over the course of the time I was gone. Some quarterback decisions at Auburn and Georgia, a non-quarterback decision in Alabama, which I don't think is the worst thing. And some very interesting notes out of the Big Ten, which I think might make you reconsider who you like. So we'll get to all the stuff we missed over the course of the last week. And finally, we will wrap with a little bit of a basketball story. Yes, in late August, there is still college hoops to talk as Louisville's top prospect decides in late August that he is leaving Louisville and instead going to play overseas for a year. I got Kenny Payne's back on this one. So it's a busy week. It's a fun week. It's a wild week. Let's not waste any more time. And let's get to the topic of the day. And listen, to me, the topic of the day, being away, and again, thank you guys and girls for your support last week. I could go in so many different directions to start. I could start. We actually got a very interesting Jim Harbaugh update late last week that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Maybe we discuss sometime later on in the week. Could do a million different things, camp news and notes. But instead, where I want to start is this crazy Michael Orr story. And the reason I want to start is pretty simple. It, it It's a story that touches everyone, I would argue, who either reads books or has a TV. 
this is a sports story, but it's kind of not. My wife has seen The Blind Side 25 times. She knows the story. She loves the story. I'm sure even your significant others, your parents, your children, if they don't love sports, they know The Blind Side story. So there's that element of it. Obviously, the lack of a Hollywood ending to it, or it appears that way. But then also, the fact that I think this is kind of a complicated story. There is no uh, very easy, definitive right and wrong here. I, 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 I was following this, watching it throughout the week. I don't think it's very clear that one side is right and one side is wrong. So let's discuss some of the details and then my thoughts on them. You know, first off, I, I, let me just spend two minutes really spending some time just, just explaining what happened last week. You don't need me to go through the whole history of the blind side. Everybody knows it by now. But last week, Michael Orr, we all know who that is, came out and essentially said that, you know, the, the, the Tui family has essentially been exploiting him since they took him in. The focal point of last week was that there is something called a conservatorship, which he signed when he was living with them. That's different than an adoption. And it's an important point of contention here. Um, an adoption kind of gives him more legal rights as he gets into his adult life, while also, of course, uh, protecting him as a child. Uh, conservatorship essentially gives whoever whoever is signing it to whoever is signing it to the other party. It gives the other party large control over likeness, those kinds of things. So the most famous one is Britney Spears. Many of you saw that documentary. But essentially what Michael Orr said was, once I signed that piece of paper, they had complete control to make any decisions they wanted to on my life, my life story, how it was presented, who it was presented to. And I had no say. I had to be totally okay with it. And I think he kind of insinuates that he's lost out on a lot of money on this. From the Tui's perspective, they immediately came back and responded late last or early last week after the initial story broke. They said, look, we had him sign this at 18 years old because we couldn't legally adopt him. It was to protect him and we're not holding out any money from him. This is how much we've made. It's not as much as you think. And he's gotten his fair share like everybody else. And as much as it's Michael Orr's story, it's all of our stories. Um, and a few other interesting notes from the Tui's response. One, they said that Michael has tried to make this claim before and that essentially all his every lawyer he's ever worked with has said there is no logical argument to what he's arguing. They said that he is has tried to shake them down for millions of dollars. And it's clear that this is messy. It's sloppy. Um, and it, it's clear it's going to end ugly because uh, publicly late last week, the two, he said they're willing to end the conservatorship for Michael Orr. Now, in terms of whose side I'm on, I want to be clear. I don't think that I'm taking either side because, again, I think it's a complicated situation. But what I will say is every piece of information that I have, I do believe I, I don't believe that the Tui's have been over the last 15 or 20 years has a have had a master plan to exploit Michael Orr, take everything from him uh, and position themselves perfectly. I don't believe this is the Tui's are evil. Michael Orr got screwed. Again, I think it's a little bit more complicated than this. And if anything, I kind of lean on the side of the Tui's, also understanding Michael Orr's frustration, which we'll get into in a minute. In terms of 
why I kind of uh, side with the twoies on this one. One, like I said, it is hard for me to find any grand plan that this, it's hard for me, let me backtrack. It's hard for me to look at the facts and determine that this was any crazy grand plan by the oars to screw over Michael Orr, or, or by the twoies to screw over Michael Orr. I just can't look at any fact and see that. One, when they took him in, I mean, let me ask you a very simple question. Family sees a struggling person at their children's school. They know they can offer resources to him. At that point, yes, he is a very good football player. But at the same time, there's no promise that he's going to be in the NFL. There's no promise that he's going to be a major college football player. There's no promise of anything. And so to me, you don't know that he's going to end up making millions, none of which you got for him as a football player. You don't know that there's any incredible story because you don't know how it's going to end. And oh, by the way, um, you look across the board, I I just, I I find it hard to believe that they knew there was some amazing story that was going to be told and they were going to make all this money from it and they were going to squeeze this kid out. Okay. Bottom line, he came to them basically in his junior year of high school when he was just developing into a football star. I find that hard to believe. And if the argument is they knew all along that he was going to be a football star, then let me ask you this. Why haven't they taken in any other children? Why haven't they brought in any other star young athletes that need a home? If this is all about funneling star athletes to the next level to make money, there's plenty more out there that need help. By the way, as somebody who covers college sports, I can tell you this stuff happens all the time. Um, where there are families, there are people, there are middle people who bring people over from, you know, whatever, a a bad neighborhood to a good one, a poor country to a wealthy one, basketball players coming against their will or getting sent to schools they don't want to go. Like, we know all that stuff happens. So again, if this was some grand plan to just pump out star athletes for your personal gain, why have there been none besides Michael Orr? Beyond that, here's the other thing. Everyone's talking about all this money. The Tuies were independently wealthy before they ever knew the name Michael Orr. I don't know all their financials. You do a quick Google search. They're worth hundreds of millions of dollars right now. Even if they had somehow made a ton of money off of all this without Michael Orr getting any of it, it would be a fraction of their net worth. They're supposedly worth like $200 million from real estate, and restaurant um, franchises, I guess, is is Sean Tui's big thing. They don't need they don't need Michael Orr's money, and they even if they even if they were trying to get it, it would be a minor minor drop in the bucket for them. Which brings me to the last thing. Listen, maybe it's because I have written two books. Maybe it's because I am pseudo in the entertainment business. What I can say is the Tui family said publicly, "Listen, we made." a little bit of money off this. I think the number they gave was like 250,000 per person. So it's not nothing, but obviously when the movie was made, when they signed their rights away for the movie, they didn't know it was going to be a box office, this and that. So they took money up front, which they said was split evenly with, uh, with the, with the, or family. The bottom line is I can tell you just from being in this business, There aren't very many people that make tens of millions or hundreds of millions for selling their life story. Isn't that kind of what this whole writer strike is about? It's about the companies making all the money and the the, the people further down the, the totem pole getting squeezed out. So you have all those elements. 
you have the fact that the probably the two most important adults in that whole story that aren't the Tuies seem to have the Tuies back. We saw Michael Lewis, the the author of The Blind Side, speak out on the Tuies behalf late last week. When we saw Hugh Freeze, Michael Orr's high school football coach at Briarcrest Christian, now the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, speak out and say, listen, all I saw was love in that family, whatever. Um, And so you have that. But most importantly, this is the part. I, I don't know how many people have seen this. Have you seen what Michael Orr has said previously about the situation? First off, Michael Orr has already written two books independent of The Blind Side and The Blind Side movie about his life. So you can't tell me as a, whatever that the Tuies have complete control over his story because he's already written two books. But he has addressed a lot of this in those books. He has two different books out. First one is called I Beat the Odds. The second one, When Your Back's Against the Wall. In I Beat the Odds, which came out in 2011, literally on the dedication page. So you don't, you don't have to go to chapter seven, uh, page 86. On the dedication page, he says to the Tui family, you are truly a blessing to me. Thank you for helping me turn my dreams into a reality. And then how about this? This is the crazy part. In that book, he literally spoke about the conservatorship. So he said last week, he didn't know all about it. He didn't know anything about it. Had no idea what he was signing. This is his own words in 2011 about the conservatorship. It kind of felt like a formality as I'd been part of the family for more than a year at that point. Since I was already over the age of 18 and considered an adult by the state of Tennessee, Sean and Leanne would be my would be my named my legal conservators. He literally wrote that in his own book. He continued. They explained to me that it means pretty much the same thing as adoptive parents, but that the laws were just written in a way that took my age into account. Listen to this. Honestly, I didn't care what it was called. I was just happy that no one could argue that we weren't legally already what we knew was real. We were a family. So those are Michael Orr's own words about the whole situation. And so I'm sorry that I can't paint the Tuies as these terrible people that didn't that that did this awful thing and I can't paint Michael Orr as somebody who knew nothing when he literally has already talked about. It. From the Orr perspective, two things kind of jump out to me. One, my personal opinion on probably what is going on, he's probably getting bad advice. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that maybe he couldn't have made a few more bucks or that he didn't have final say in this or that the two we shouldn't have done more for him. Although I don't really know what they could have done literally other than giving him a roof over their head. But beyond that, like just from the Michael Orr perspective, the first thing that that comes to mind, I just think he's getting bad advice. I think there's somebody out there. And again, this goes to the two statement that he has had multiple lawyers tell him there's no case here. There's nothing we can do. You got your fair amount, and this is how conservatorships work. And somebody got in his ear, and somebody said, you should be getting all these tens of millions of dollars, which leads to the shakedown that the Tuies alleged, that basically came to them and said, if you don't give me $15 million right now, I'm going to the media with a crazy story that you don't want out there. Somebody, in my opinion, probably got in his ear. 
Somebody probably convinced him that he got a bad deal or that the family got a bad deal or that he's getting cut out of money that frankly doesn't exist. And you know what I also think it is? And this is something I can't sit here and ever say that I've been in Michael Orr's shoes. I can't say that I lived his life. I can't say that whatever. But what I can say is, is that I'm pseudo sort of on a very minor level in the spotlight. Super little, small, little sliver. Okay. And what I do think tends to happen is that when people see something from the outside or when other people speak on your behalf, you get kind of mad that your story isn't being told the way that you want. Okay. Give you a few different examples. One, we know that in the sports media, layoffs happen all the time. Um, I was part of one. Uh, several years ago, foxsports.com 2017 pivot to video. You may remember that. And I was part of that. And you read all these reports and you do all this and you say, all, and you know that 90% of what is out there isn't true and isn't reflective of your story. And so it drives you crazy. Now at the time I, 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 I seem to remember kind of releasing a statement, just thanking everybody. I wasn't mad. It was time to move on, whatever. But you do get mad that like, oh, this is being said about you and your career and your life and you're this and you're that. And so I understand it. And I'll give you another example, too. It can also work in the opposite manner. I've told this story before, I think. But about two, three years ago, somebody asked me to do an interview, right? And so I do interviews all the time, whatever, no big deal. Who cares? Not not who cares, because I love the guy who I did it with, good friend, whatever. But I mean, who cares as in anytime you need me, just let me know what you need. Why do I bring it up? It's because I thought it was going to be kind of a boilerplate. Tell us about your career. How'd you get here? All that stuff. And to his credit, he did his homework. And I think he kind of viewed it as a Joe Rogan, super long form. Let's dive into every little nook and cranny of your life. And so it starts with where'd you go to college? Where'd you go to high school? Did you play sports in high school? All that good stuff. But then it it took a couple turns that I guess I ultimately wasn't anticipating. I remember him asking about, you know, let's be honest. uh, I'm not going to deny it. Like my parents got divorced, product of divorce, whatever. And I remember him being like, oh, well, tell me about this. Well, tell me about that. And and what I said to him at the time, and I I said it on the interview, maybe some of you heard it. I was like, listen, man, I'm not going there. And it's not because I have some amazing secret to hide. It's because it's not really my story to tell my version. I have my version of events, but my mom has her own version. And I'm sure my dad's version is much different than my mom's version. And I'm sure that my sister's version is different than my version. And I'm sure my grandmother on my mom's side is a different version than the grandfather, grandmother on my dad's side. And so I just, I, I was like, I'm not going there. Cause it's not, the, the, it's not my story to tell. And so my thought is probably from Michael Orr's perspective to bring it back to that is I think Michael Orr is probably sitting there saying like, wait a second now, the two he's had final say on the book, the two he's had final say on the movie, or I believe that to be the case. And so part of it's probably about money, but part of it's like, why doesn't Michael Orr get to tell his side? Why doesn't Michael, why, why has all of this happened? And it's only been told from a certain perspective. Maybe I have a different view. Maybe I have a different opinion. Now, to be clear, he wrote two books about it a decade ago. So my guess is he had final say on whatever was written in those books. But at the same time, that's probably where it comes to me is that um, 
I, I just wonder, is he happy with how the movie portrays his career and his life? Because listen, it does portray him as kind of a, I don't want to be crass here, but a little bit of a lost soul, not a very good football player, doesn't know how to play. I mean, it's a Hollywood dramatization of what happened. And so I wonder if that's some concern on him as well. Ultimately, like I would just say, I hope this somehow gets figured out. I hope that in five years, both sides can reconcile. By the way, I hope, I hope the Tuies didn't totally screw him. And maybe it comes out that they did. And maybe we have an extended Aaron wrong. And I got to tell you how wrong I was on this whole situation. I hope that that doesn't come out. I hope that Michael can somehow reconcile. But at the at the end of the day, like I said, I look at this story. It feels like there's certain pieces missing. Um, and just based on the facts that we know, I I just find it personally a little bit hard to believe that this was some grand plan by the Tuies to to hurt Michael Orr in any way. Whew, a little bit of a heavy, heavy start to the show here as I get back from vacation. But here's the good news. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk some on-the-field college football. That's right. Week zero is here. We'll preview the games on Friday. But before we do, I want to talk about some news and notes from camp across the day. We know who Georgia's quarterback is. We know who Auburn's quarterback is. Alabama doesn't have a quarterback, but that's okay. I'm going to tell you why. Plus some interesting notes from the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and more. Quick break. Be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the UK, over a thousand shops in the UK, and they have now come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of not only all things Aaron Torres Media, but the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred does. I've been telling you that for a year. We have sent listeners of the Aaron Torres pod to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. The Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games is rocking. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. And here is what they are doing for you right now. How about this? Bet $50 on any game. Get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet 50 bucks on anything you want to bet on. You automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get up to $200 in insurance for your first five weeks as a Betfred customer, totaling $1,111 in free bets. I've told you for a year, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. They're the only book that I bet with. And I want to thank Betfred for being our presenting sponsor. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, everybody. Nine back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, so what I want to do, let's talk a little college football. Opening segment, a little bit heavy. But at the end of the day, here's the bottom line. It's game week. College football is coming. Week zero is Saturday. We are literally going to have. Notre Dame game, USC game, to react to on next Monday's Aaron Torres pod. Cannot believe we are here. And so what I want to do now is just talk about some of the storylines that happened while I was gone out of fall camp. Figure one, you guys and girls are ready for football. As I said a minute ago, uh, we, uh, you know, last week I did the preview episodes. It was one of our most downloaded weeks we've had in months on the Aaron Torres pod. So I know you guys and girls are ready. And two, just a lot of stuff has been happening across the country that I think is worth spending two, three, four minutes on, even if it's not a full segment. Let's start with Georgia, reigning national champs. You may have heard two-time reigning national champs, as a matter of fact. As I've said a few times, trying to go back to back to back for the first time since Tom Amansky's AAU national champions. Not really true at all, but uh, they are trying to become the first major college football team in close to 100 years to do it. And they need a new starting quarterback with Stetson Bennett now in the NFL. Well, on Saturday, just a few days ago, Kirby Smart did officially name Carson Beck a fourth-year junior the starting quarterback. Don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but listen, it's Georgia. They didn't have a quarterback officially a week ago, and so it's important. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time. This was always expected, okay? Beck has been around forever. You know how long ago he arrived at Georgia? He came the spring that they ended up canceling spring practice because of a little virus called COVID, okay? So he was there that year. He was there for the two national championship runs. He is back for a fourth season. And I'll be blunt. I was kind of told by some people that kind of know some things around Georgia football. The anticipation after that first title run was not that Stetson Bennett was going to use his COVID year last year. And so there was a thought that he wouldn't be back, and there was a comfort in that Georgia building that if they had to hand the keys of the job to Carson Beck a year ago, they were ready to do it then. Now, credit to Carson Beck. He didn't transfer. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. He waited his turn, and this was always expected. Now, in spring ball, he had a great spring. There was a thought because his backup, Brock uh, Brock Vandegriff, did not transfer that maybe it somehow meant that there was more of a competition. I think from Vandegrift's perspective, it was kind of because of SEC rules, he couldn't transfer in the SEC. And oh, by the way, if Carson Beck balls out in year one, maybe he's gone after a year. So anyway, I'm beating around the bush, but he was named the quarterback. It's not surprising. And I think what he's going to bring to Georgia is a lot of what we saw from Stetson Bennett. 
He's a plus athlete. I don't think he's an elite, elite, elite athlete. But as Georgia has proved the last two years, if you're that good everywhere else, you don't need the difference maker, first overall number one type pick at quarterback, right? I do think there was a few years where college football became a little bit like the NFL. If you didn't have a Joe Burrow, a Trevor Lawrence, a Justin Fields, a bona fide first round, no doubt about a talent, then you probably couldn't win at the highest level. But Georgia has proven that, look, you go through uh, the season, if you have the best O-line in the country, the best D, uh, defense in the country, elite edge rushers, uh, great wide receivers, great running backs, you don't need Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. And so why this kid got the job, he's going to be good, uh, played in 11 games the last two years, six touchdown passes. They have plenty of time to break him in. We've talked about the schedule a lot with Georgia over the last couple weeks, but because the Oklahoma game was canceled, they were supposed to play Oklahoma, but Oklahoma's coming to the SEC, so their game was canceled. And because of it, Georgia now opens with UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, and UAB in the first three weeks. So even if South Carolina is tough, that game's at home. And on top of it, you have two games to get Carson Beck plenty of reps. I think he'll be fine. And once again, he has no shortage of talent, whether it's Brock Bowers at tight end, the two-star transfers at wide receiver, Dominic Lovett from Missouri, Ra-Ra Thomas from Mississippi State. I think Georgia's going to be just fine with Carson Beck at quarterback. Let's go to one of Georgia's rivals. It is Auburn. The Deep South's oldest rivalry, you may have heard of it. They play every single year pretty much forever. And they, too, over the last couple of days, have named a starting quarterback. In their case, it was Peyton Thorne, the kid who transferred in from Michigan State. And ultimately, I don't think it's very much of a surprise. First of all, let me say this. I thought that some of Hugh Freeze's comments when he made the decision were interesting. Here is what he said. Peyton Thorne transfers in from Michigan State. They end up choosing him over uh, Robbie Ashford, who was with the program last year, and uh, another young player as well. But Hugh Freeze says the reason Peyton is getting the nod is the leadership ability and the understanding of the offense. And he's been in some really good battles and just seems like the more the more efficient in decision making at this point. Not that the others were terrible by any means. It was not a slam dunk. I hope we will handle it right. The guy's in here all the time talking about Peyton Thorne. I can't get rid of him. He wants to know all the ins and outs about everything, and he's a pro at it, knowing how to prepare, and that gives you a comfort level where you feel like he has the right mindset and understanding of the game plan. Freeze was also asked about Robbie Ashford, the backup, and he said Ashford will always have a package in our offense if he handles this the right way. So one, obviously, that could mean nothing. It could just mean, hey, he he wanted to be the starter. He's not, and now he's got to handle it the right way. I'm also curious if it's somehow kind of a, a trickle-down effect from last year. We know the culture wasn't great at Auburn. We know Brian Harson let some things slide that others, now Hugh Freeze, are not going to. So does it have anything to do with anything? Is it a little bit of maybe he needs to work on the attitude? I don't know, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything. But what I do know is two things. One, Thorne as a fifth-year guy, multi-year starter at Michigan State, I don't think he would have left, and I don't think he would have chosen Auburn more specifically if he didn't think he had the inside track to the starting job. 
What will be interesting is a couple things. Really, his career at Michigan State was essentially a tale of two seasons. Two years ago, when Michigan State won 11 games, 60% completion, 27 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. But that was in a year when they had Kenneth Walker, a Heisman candidate, in the backfield. Last year, the O-line struggles, the run game struggles, Peyton Thorne drops from to 19 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. The completion percentage actually increased a little bit. So I think you talk about the experience in the big games. It makes the most sense. The other thing I'd say, too, is this. If you're an Auburn fan, and I know Auburn fans are excited about this, is that Freeze has a great track record of pretty much having success with largely any quarterback that he needs to play. Last year, if you remember, um, Liberty uh, had a very good year under Hugh Freeze, how he got the job. Liberty had to play four different quarterbacks last year because of injuries. And at one point, I mean, obviously you're down to a fourth string guy at one point, but they were like winning games with a third string quarterback in those games. And so I bring it up because he has a history of developing quarterbacks and really of getting the most out of the guys that he has, whether it's Chad Kelly, whether it's Bo Wallace dating back to the old miss days or what he's done the last few years at Liberty. I have no doubts that Auburn will be much improved at the quarterback spot. They have their guy. Last little quarterback note, and I think it's an interesting one. It's that while Auburn is set, Georgia is set, a lot of other schools are set too. LSU is obviously set with Jaden Daniels, Kentucky with Devin Leary. Maybe we talk about him later this week. Some great uh, reporting from Josh Pate on him that I agree with and his capabilities. But I bring it up because Alabama doesn't have a starting quarterback right now, and a lot of people are freaking out. I actually think it's the opposite, and I think it's okay. One, I get the notion that if you have three guys, you really have none. But I do believe this feels like a little bit of a unique situation for Alabama this year. Keep in mind, it's not like all of these guys have been in the program, have the exact same skill sets, have been around forever, same coordinators, same everything. Think about all that has changed since last year. Bryce Young leaves, obviously. Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator. Then you bring in Tommy Reese. But more specifically, um, you also have three guys kind of at three different points in their careers. The three guys competing for the job are as follows. Jalen Milrow, who got serious burn last year when Bryce Young got hurt in the Arkansas game. He comes back. He wasn't great, but he has game experience. Ty Simpson, I think most believe, is the highest upside guy in that locker room or that quarterback room, but he doesn't have much experience at all. And then Tyler Buckner is kind of the, I've used this analogy a few times the last couple of weeks, but it's like Goldilocks and the three bears. Bed's too big, bed's too small, bed's just right. Porridge is too hot, too cold, just right. Buckner's somewhere in the middle. He's got the most game experience out of all those guys, but he has had injuries, and he's, of course, coming in from a place where he wasn't at Alabama before. And so because there's three guys with three unique backgrounds, it doesn't surprise me, and I wouldn't be worried yet if I was Bama. I also think this is a testament to what Nick Saban said throughout this process and throughout these last couple months. This will be a more balanced team, and there is a clear commitment to running the football this year. Alabama, to me, does feel like a team that when you have first rounder after first rounder at quarterback, 
you can become a little too reliant on that first rounder. You can become too reliant on Bryce Young making plays, on Tua making plays, even on Mac Jones, who gets just crushed left and right as an NFL quarterback. He was incredible that one year in college as the starter at Alabama. So to me, I'm not worried yet. They play Texas in week two. If they're still playing three guys in week two, I'll be concerned, but I'm not really worried. Quickly, some other notes that kind of caught my eye while I was gone. One, this is interesting to me, and maybe it means nothing, okay? It probably, I, I can see where people would say, oh, Torres, you're overreacting. So every year, a writer named Bruce Feldman puts out what he calls his freaks list, okay? Bruce Feldman, super plugged in guy, knows everybody, whatever. And every year, he does this list of the freakiest athletes in college football. All, we know who the guys are, the, the guys that that run the 4240s and the linebackers that are 260 pounds, but they run a 44 or the the cornerback with a 30, you know, 46 inch vertical leap and huge hands and whatever the, the D lineman that can squat 800 pounds, whatever it is. So why I bring it up, Bruce Feldman put out his list last week and it kind of confirmed something that I have said on the show the last couple weeks. I'm a little bit concerned that Ohio State is starting to fall behind, or at the very least, that the top of the Big Ten is starting to catch up. If you look at that freaks list with the freakiest freakiest athletes in college football, you go back four, five years, six years, when Urban Meyer was there, his whole team was freaks. That, that Florida documentary is coming out in a couple days, that Florida Gators Swamp Kings documentary. They were the freakiest of freaks. I've heard his former assistant coach, Zach Smith, been on this show. He said, when Urban Meyer coached at Florida, he said, I want a track team on the football field. Every guy on that team was a freak. Well, guess what? You know who had the most guys on the freaks list this year? Penn State with six, including a couple defensive linemen and a linebacker. You know who was number two? In the Big Ten, I really should say. I don't know about overall. Michigan State had five. Ohio State only had four. And Ohio State, to their credit, did have the number one freaking college football, Marvin Harrison. I think we all agree on that. But what it says to me is that for years, there was a significant talent gap with Ohio State and everybody else. And it does kind of feel like everybody's starting to catch up, right? And this is maybe it means nothing. But this has been a topic on this show over the last couple weeks in the lead up to the season. I keep saying, listen, I get it. Ohio State's been there. I'm not doubting them. I'm not saying they're going seven and five. But one, they have a very tough schedule. And two, this is the first time that I can ever remember that it feels like most people don't think they're going to win the Big Ten. Most people are picking Michigan, and there's a lot of buzz about Penn State. I like Penn State. Uh, I saw Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports tweeting about it the other day. I'm sure there's others that I've missed. Penn State has more freaks on their team, according to Bruce Feldman, the freakiest of the freaks, the elite of the elite, than Ohio State. Michigan, by the way, you talk to most draft experts. Now, Jim Harbaugh came out of Big Ten Media Days and said that he expects to break Georgia's record of 15 NFL draft picks this year. I don't know if it's going to happen. But most believe that Michigan is going to have the most guys selected in next year's NFL draft, the people that cover the NFL draft 365 days a year. And so I look at this whole situation and I just say, 
Ohio State had a huge talent gap on everybody else in the Big Ten forever. Feels like it's catching up. We'll give our official college football playoff and national title picks in a week from now. I have my concerns about Ohio State going into this year. Finally, one last piece of news, and it is a good one. And it, it, it's it's a good one. It's a, you know, uh, Let me explain. So I just mentioned Tyler Buckner transferred in from Notre Dame. Another guy that he competed with for the job last year is a guy named Drew Pine who transferred to Arizona State. Now, Drew Pine got banged up in summer camp or, or fall camp, so that's not good, and I would never root for an injury, especially Drew Pine is from Connecticut. Definitely never root against my CT guy. CT, stand up! But at the same time, this is why it's interesting. It's interesting because you know who is making waves as the potential starter at Arizona State? I'm going to say a name, and you're going to rack your brain and be like, I know that name, but where do I know it from? You know who's getting projected who might be the starter for Arizona State in week one? Kenny Dillingham, first season as a head coach. Remember the name Jaden Rashada? So Jaden Rashada was the kid, if you remember. He was the guy that committed to Florida last season and was Mr. NIL. And the Athletic put out the report that he was basically, he signed a contract that said he was going to get paid $13 million over the course of three to four years at Florida to be their starting quarterback. And then it became time to enroll. And whether Florida just didn't have the money or they didn't want to spend it on him, um, basically he didn't go to Florida because it became clear that whatever was promised him in NIL, he wasn't going to get. And so there was a weird kind of week or two. Nobody knew where he was going to end up. Is he going to go check out Colorado with Coach Prime? Is he going to go here? He's going to go there. He had a previous relationship with Kenny Dillingham, the new Arizona State head coach. Uh, his father actually played at Arizona State. And he ends up committing to the Sun Devils. And I think at the time it was kind of a sad story, right? Thinks he's going to the SEC, 90,000 people, the swamp, all that good stuff. And instead, what ends up happening is he, he, you know, kind of falls down the totem pole and people kind of forgot about him and kind of gave up on him. And was he overrated? And was Florida, did Florida dodge a bullet not paying this guy all this money? So to see him put himself in position, to see him bounce back, especially because remember, never forget, that was a kid that I think most people kind of agree. It wasn't really the kid that did anything wrong. The adults in his life were kind of pushing him one way. He wanted to do certain things. It was a bad deal all around. But. With Drew Pine hurt, it looks like Jaden Rashada, former five-star, was going to go to Florida, ends up not going. He may be Arizona State's starter in week one. We'll keep an eye on that. That was fun. Not going to lie. That was a good time. Love the fall camp notes, and I think that's probably what we'll do. We'll do one of those like once every episode or two, kind of like what we do with the transfers in the spring. Just kind of whip around and kind of give you the information that you need. What I want to do now is take a quick break because here is some information that you need. Did you see what happened with Louisville basketball over the last couple of days? Kenny Payne, whoo, five-star Trenton Flowers, was supposed to go to Louisville. Decides in August he's instead going to go to Australia. It's crazy. Kenny Payne's big mad. I don't blame Kenny Payne. Going to discuss that next. Quick break. Be right back. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, 
It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to wrap. Cannot believe I'm saying this. With a little bit of college hoops and a mega story that broke while I was gone. Yes, I cannot believe that I am talking college hoops here in late August. I know we joke all the time about these sports, you know, college football, college basketball, becoming 365 a day a year sports with uh, with the portal and everything. But it really is the case because, again, mega news out of Louisville. Obviously, look, a program that's kind of in the crosshairs right now, coming off the worst season in program history. But if you kind of read the tea leaves and if you're somebody who does follow this sport pretty regularly, you know that there is a reasonable amount of optimism about Louisville going into next year. Not that they'll be great, not that they're amazing, not that they're going to win the ACC, but most of it was centered around a very good offseason in which they clearly upgraded the roster. Added a bunch of key transfers, including Sky Clark from Illinois, Trey White, a very good player from USC, and then had a very good recruiting class headlined by Trenton Flowers, a 6'8", Gardish forward five-star kid was part of the class of 2024 reclassifies and announces in the springtime that he is going to Louisville to play this year. So positivity at Louisville, positive vibes only. We're not here to say anything mean, but then on Monday, an absolute bombshell. So a week ago today, as many of you are listening to this as Trenton flowers, that five-star player that I just mentioned, commits in the spring, and Rolls is there all summer long, decides that in late August, he is going to no longer go to Louisville right before classes start and instead go play overseas. Very interesting back and forth, but I want to talk about this for one very simple reason. It is because once it actually happened, it became clear that Kenny Payne was not happy and there was a weird back and forth between the family Really just the family because the coaching staff didn't really talk about it. But what I will say is I want to defend Kenny Payne because, listen, I get that this is the new world of college sports. I get that there's more player mobility than ever before, and I am all for that. But there is a difference between deciding to transfer, deciding to go pro, whatever, and doing it in August when the transfer portal is closed, when there's no real opportunity to replace you. Let me say this, I do not blame Kenny Payne at all. I'm going to war for my boy KP. And so let's talk about it. And as far as the kid is concerned, listen, he made the decision, whatever. And when he made the decision, listen, he said all the right things, right? He said, oh, you know, it's 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 a once in a lifetime opportunity. And this team overseas in Australia, they're going to allow me to play point guard. I I, it, I couldn't turn it down. This is the best pathway to me for me to the NBA. 
And again, it's his life. I'm not his advisor. I'm not his agent. I'm not his mom. I'm not his dad. I'm not whatever. If this is what's going to make him happy, it's not my place to say not to do it. But I can kind of punch holes in pretty much every piece of that argument. One, don't tell me it's a once in a lifetime opportunity because that's kind of exactly what you said about Louisville. You literally said it in the statement, thanking Louisville for the three months on campus that were so magical. It's been a dream of mine to do this. It was also a dream of mine to play at Louisville. So don't tell me it's once in a lifetime. Also, I'm just going to say it. Listen, what is recruiting, whether it's from high school to college or college to the pros? It's convincing people that this is the right spot for you for X reason. So while I'm sure this organization in Australia told him all the right things about the opportunity, oh, come here, you get to play point guard. I don't know that I actually buy it. Remember, this isn't a developmental program in Australia. This isn't the G League Ignite program, which is solely about development. It's not overtime elite. This is a professional league with professional players and professional coaches. You know what happens when those professional coaches don't win enough? They get fired. You know what happens when the players don't play well enough? They don't get contracts again, and they are forced to figure out another way to feed their families. So I'm sure the organization said all the right things, but I... I, I find it very hard to believe that they're just going to hand the keys of the organization over to this kid because, again, it's a professional entity. By the way, a kid that there's differing rumors that he wasn't even going to play point guard at Louisville because they had Sky Clark and they thought Sky Clark was better for the position. Not here to criticize the kid, just stating facts. And finally, let me say this. Stop with the... Maybe his family does feel like it's the best way for him to develop for the NBA. What I would say is that if I was that player's agent or advisor, I would have thrown my body in front of that because I've said it before. If it's about, listen, I love college basketball, but if it's about development, go to the G League, professional coaches, full-time training. You don't have to go overseas. You play against grown men, but it's basically in a controlled setting. Here, you're going overseas to play in a professional league where ultimately the goal is to win games and to do all that. And I'm sorry, but through the years, we have four or five examples of American kids going over there. And outside of LaMelo Ball, who, by the way, was an NBA All-Star 21. So let's not use him as an example. It's been a struggle. RJ Hampton went over there. I remember talking to people when he was there. It was kind of a disaster. He wasn't playing. It wasn't what was promised. He wasn't good enough. He probably didn't have the right attitude. Terrence Ferguson, same thing. It hasn't really helped any American player other than LaMelo Ball once in a lifetime, whatever. By the way, for anyone who listens to this show, when I say shout out to Torrent Craig at the end, it's because Torrent Craig, who is Tory Craig, uh, it's a long story. But the bottom line is this all started when Tory Craig was a former player in Australia. And even four or five years ago when RJ Hampton went, I was critical of the decision. Whoever advised this kid to do this, I think bluntly should be fired. I, I, it doesn't make sense, even if you don't want to play at Louisville, even if you think there's something wrong with the program, the coaching staff, the roster, there are better options, better alternatives here overseas, uh, uh, stateside, not criticizing the NBL. It's a tough place to play for an 18-year-old. Finally, though, I do want to wrap, and I do want to address the Kenny Payne side of this, because Kenny Payne, bluntly, through both public statement and private actions, appears to have given a pretty lukewarm response to this news. 
that his best player, his best, I should say, his best freshman, at least according to the rankings, decided in August to leave the program. First of all, listen to this statement that he released with this news. This was on Monday. He said earlier today, Trenton and his family informed me of his decision to pursue a professional career overseas. We're certainly disappointed in his decision and the timing. We fully believe in the University of Louisville's ability to help student athletes reach their goals, including to play at the highest levels of professional basketball. And we're confident that Trenton could have achieved his dreams by making Louisville his home. However, we wish Trenton and his family well in all of their future endeavors. So basically what he kind of said was like, look, I can't do anything right now, but when it's a paragraph long, and I'm looking at this, it's like a five, six paragraph statement. And it takes until the last paragraph to, to even say best of luck. And he doesn't even say best of luck. He says, we wish him well. You know, Kenny Payne wasn't happy. And then what was especially interesting was, I think it was Wednesday, an interview got released with the family, Trenton Flowers and his dad, in which they essentially said, we tried to reach out to Kenny Payne a bunch of times. He did not respond. And what was interesting about that interview was, I, I, I felt like the kid, was trying to make it, oh, I, I did everything right, and I did this, and it's not my fault I can't do anything. Again, let me defend Kenny Payne here. I have no fundamental issue with the way he acted. First off, again, I'll say it one final time. I am not against player mobility. It's your career, once in a lifetime, whatever. But it's one thing to decide I'm going to go pro before maybe the coaching staff thinks you're ready. It's one thing to decide in April after the season, I'm going to transfer for a better opportunity. Those are logical decisions that get made dozens, hundreds of times every offseason. But to quit on your team, to leave your team in August when there is no other opportunity for the school to really replace you, give me a break. You want to be the victim? I don't blame Kenny Penny at all for getting mad. The, the, the kid, and listen, I get he's 18 years old, but at a certain point, guess what? At a certain point, you are a student athlete, and now you're also a pseudo whatever. Financially, you are getting taken care of by the school. There are NIL opportunities. And so to me, I get that if this was 8, 10, 12, 5, 3 years ago, and there was no NIL, and there was a financial opportunity to go overseas, you couldn't turn down. But it's not about money, and at some point... Players, I do believe, even in the mobility era, when they just make a decision that I believe is fundamentally wrong, I got to call them out. Because again, it's one thing to do it in May after the season, April after the season, but to come to campus, to first of all, to be recruited for years, to come to campus, to enroll, to have the staff work you out, use the facilities, training, food, meals, prep, nutrition, whatever. And you quit in August? I'm sorry, Kenny Payne doesn't owe this kid anything, let alone a we wish you well. And I'm glad Kenny Payne didn't pick up that phone because guess what? I'm petty as you know what, and I wouldn't have either. Finally, let me say this. Again, I get this is a new world of college athletics, but I also believe that at some point there is kind of a tipping point thing where it can go from two coach and school controlled like the old days couldn't transfer there were sometimes if you remember even about 8 10 12 years ago 
The school could limit who you could transfer to. Oh, you want to transfer in conference? Can't transfer there. You want to transfer to a team we're playing? Can't transfer there. That was so pro-school, pro-coach. That was unacceptable, and the system had to change. But it can skew too far pro-player the other way as well. And it's funny because I was thinking about a quote Nick Saban had earlier this year, and it reminded me so much of this Trenton Flowers uh, situation. Nick Saban sat down with Joel Clad at some point in the summer, and he basically said, like, look, we're all for commitment, but commitment is a two-way street. And essentially what Nick Saban said was exactly what I just said. When we feed you, when we house you, when we give you NIL opportunities, you're making money off the field, your insurance is taken care of, your food is taken care of, your housing is taken care of, your school is taken care of. At some point, you have to deliver on the other side as well. And at some point, it can't be give, 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 get nothing in return and take, 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 take and not give back anything in return. And so I know I'm going in circles and I'll wrap, I swear, right here. Kenny Payne, stay strong, brother. Listen, man, listen, I know it's a tough time for Louisville and I understand the season wasn't very good last year. I'm rooting for Kenny Payne, though, because this kid, last thought, I promise. I saw a few people say, oh, this is a business decision for the kid. No, listen, I run a business. There's a right way and a wrong way to do business. Screwing people over at the 11th hour for your own benefit that's not how you do good business. I don't blame Kenny Payne for being upset at all. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Earth Tours Pod. Didn't know I was going to get so fired up over an 18-year-old going to Australia. Although, again, if you're a listener of the show, you know. I, I've, got, I've, I've, you know, I've had my beef with Australia in the past. By the way, Australia, it's a good league. I don't blame uh, whatever. You get the point. I'm, I'm going to stop rambling and just get out of here. It's time for me to go. Appreciate everybody's support. By the way, I think I mentioned it at the top. Thank you guys again for your support last week. Last week was one of our busiest weeks ever. While I was away, pre-recorded shows, and we basically just re-ran stuff. I didn't really promote it on social media. So you guys found those shows. You guys shared those shows with your friends and family. And I cannot thank you all enough for that. It's time for me to get out of here. Thank you again. Uh, and I'll be back Wednesday. We got a lot of big things ahead. I'm actually going to be traveling through this hurricane in in L.A. over the course of the weekend. So wish me luck. Uh, But we got some big things coming headed into week one. Thank you, guys and girls. That is all for today's show. And it is time for me to get out of here. I'll be back on Wednesday. Shout out to Torrent Craig and Trent Flowers, baby. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Guess what? They tell me that on Twitter you can't block people anymore. We might have to get into it again, JJ Reddick. I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode, Eratorus Pod. See ya, people. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.